Thank you so much, Renee and worship team. So I was preaching at my last church on the topic of forgiveness. And uh, as uh, we did earlier, I, um, I asked people to reflect on if there was anyone that they needed to extend forgiveness to. And um, there was a leader at the last church, he was, uh, I, if I remember right, he was a deacon, and he was about our biggest deacon we had. He was like 6'5", really football, basketball player. And he came up after the message, and he said, all right, pastor, you got me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I have not spoken to my brother in five years. And in our conversation, he went on to, to talk about um, how, how selfish and self-centered and hurtful his brother had been to him and the rest of his family. And we processed this idea of forgiveness and, and talked about really, in a sense, this uh, sometimes it feels impossible to extend forgiveness, especially to those who have wounded us or wounded those that we care about so much. And there were questions that he had. I wasn't quite sure if he was convinced that he was ready to forgive. But he said, what does that look like? How do you do that? How do you do the impossible? How do you, and, and do we have to invite him back into the family and all these kind of things? Questions that couldn't be resolved just with one conversation. But he began this process of saying, how do I forgive my brother for all that he's done. We've been in this series on family, and I wanted to include, this is our last week, and I wanted to include at least one week on this crucial aspect of for forgiveness because really, any healthy family, any healthy church, any healthy relationship needs an undercurrent of forgiveness that is constant and running. In fact, I'd say that's also true of any soul, of any heart, your soul and heart, my soul and heart, that if we don't have this undercurrent of forgiveness, that we're not going to be healthy in our soul. And yet, inside and out of the church, it can be one of the most difficult things to do, extend the forgiveness of Jesus. We prayed, I, I got a little bit more preachy while we were praying because I wanted to preach part of my sermon. Um, and, uh, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer and that really bothersome little word. It is funny, the difference between the services. In the first service, I expected them to locate as pretty quickly. For they went to every single word except as and it took a really long time. You guys focused in on the as, yes. Do you know, if you look at the context of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, it is the one petition of all the petitions, give us this day our daily bread and you know, lead us not in temptation. Of all the petitions, this is the one, the one on forgiveness is the one that Jesus follows up with. It's the one he like, as if, I, I'm not exactly sure, but it's a, as if he's like, yeah, this one they're gonna really struggle with. But he follows up in, in, a, in a strong way. He says this right after the Lord's Prayer. He says, 
For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What? That doesn't seem fair, does it? Does that seem fair to you? Right? I I wish it was predicated on something other than that. In, In fact, when I think about the people who have wounded me, forgiveness is not what I want to think about. You know what I want to think about? Justice. Right? Isn't that, am I the only broken sinner that, I mean, when it does, well, of course, if, if I hurt someone else, then what do I want to talk about? Grace and mercy and forgiveness, yes. But if I'm hurt, what do I want to talk about? Justice. Maybe a little payback. Maybe a little revenge. That's the thing I want. And yet Jesus says, no. In fact, how you're connected here, how you're related here, this has an impact here, whether we like it or not. In fact, the message translates those verses right after the Lord's Prayer like this. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off of God's part. He's saying you don't get to do justice here. (laughs) And forgiveness here, it doesn't work that way. I'm not gonna let you. So friends, we better get our our, our minds around this. We better get our hearts around this. How do we live this out? How do we apply? If this is a crucial part of the life that God is calling us to, this, this kingdom life, how do we wrap our heads around it? How do we see this impossibility, especially of those who've wounded us, how do we apply that? so that we might seek forgiveness. We've been looking at some Old Testament stories and sometimes they've really modeled very bad behavior, unhealthy behavior, right? This one, we're gonna look at a really good behavior, a a beautiful example of forgiveness. Would you turn with me to the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, and we're gonna look at the last chapter, the closing story of Genesis. If you brought your Bibles, great. There are Bibles located in seats in front of you. And we're going to look at the story of Joseph. As you find Genesis chapter 15, let me just give you a little bit of context. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. And he had a lot of older brothers and Jacob loved him more. And he was a little bit prideful, a little bit arrogant. And the older brothers were really, really jealous. So jealous it stirred this deep anger that they wanted to get rid of their brother Joseph. At first they were going to kill him and then they thought maybe that's not a good idea. They threw him in a pit and then they decided okay let's make some money off of him. We'll sell him into slavery and Joseph their own his own brother sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. There he's wrongly accused. He goes into jail for several years. He's suffering, struggling. Finally, through the miraculous work of God, he gets out of prison and he becomes the most powerful next to Pharaoh in Egypt. 
And he controls and God uses him in a time of famine to really save the, the starving people. Well, Joseph's brothers begin to starve as well and they come to Egypt to get some food and Joseph, it's a really entertaining story and process through Genesis. He really brings his, his brothers back. He forgives them and he loves them. All is good except their father dies. And his older brothers get a little nervous because part of the culture is you don't you know, um, get revenge on siblings while your parents are alive because they wouldn't want you to do that. But when they die, it's on. <laughs> do you remember Esau and Jacob, right? Esau couldn't wait to get revenge on Jacob. So they're in this predicament and let's see what the brothers do. We're starting in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Uh-oh, we better come up with something. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. It's always good when you're making up a lie to throw in God's stuff, right? All right, a little extra impact. All right, the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Why do you think he wept? Was he ready to exact revenge? Nuts, dad said that. <laughs> Dang it. Let's find out. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. They've done this before, so let's. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I personally think that Joseph was crying because his brothers had so missed his heart, so missed who Joseph had become before God that they were seeing with this lens, this, this worldly lens, this cultural lens that includes holding grudges, exacting revenge, and getting back at the people that have wronged us. And yet Joseph's heart had been formed and shaped by a loving God. And his brothers missed it. His brothers missed it. They came up with this lie, put words in the, 
in their father's mouths that weren't true and wrapped some Jesus into it. Well, God into it in the Old Testament. And they exact that. I think that Joseph is this beautiful example of what I would call uncommon forgiveness. A forgiveness that doesn't flow from a worldly perspective or a cultural perspective, but flows from the heart of God and he invites us to live into this place in a different way as a testimony to the world. In fact, incredibly, Joseph gets a truth that is woven from the Old Testament to the New Testament and it's only the first book of the Bible, right? He understands this truth. One way that he is able to understand and live this truth of forgiveness is this, is one, is Joseph decides to let God be God. What I mean by that is he allows the justice of God to only God deal with justice, that that is not his role. He doesn't try and play God. That's what I think he means when he says, am I in the place of God? Am I judge? Am I jury of all your sins? Do I get to stand in the judgment seat and make pronouncements about your life and your sin? He says, no. That is reserved for God and God alone. The apostle Paul talks about this crucial understanding when he says in Romans 12, 19, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Go ahead to that next scripture, Brittany. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. He's saying my role is justice. My role is judgment. I'm the only one that gets to stand in the judgment seat. That is not your place. Give it to me. Entrust it to me. A number of weeks ago, I, I shared that we got to see the shack. And one of the, at least for me, one of the most poignant moments was when Mac enters in, it's, it looks like a cave, and there's this woman who represents wisdom. And what she's challenging Mac on is that he keeps trying to be, stand in the seat of judgment, right? And she keeps saying, so you get to judge, so you're the judge. She's saying it doesn't work that way. God gets to be judge. Entrust him, give him, let him be God. You see, friends, why does God only get to be allowed to be judge, I, I think two primary reasons. One is, is this, that any judgment that we make will be tinged with hypocrisy because we all have sin in our lives, right? We all have that. Only God and Jesus, right? He was able to forgive sins. Only Jesus, only God is without sin. And there's another reason is that our perspective is always skewed. We never see the full picture. 
even in the shack, I think there's a moment when the God figure says, you're only seeing this through the, the keyhole of your pain, Mac. That's true of all of us. We just have one take of that sin, and it's only God who sees that big picture, that grand picture. That's why, as his followers, as his sons and daughters, we just need to give the judgment seat and justice to him. We don't exact that justice. We say, God, We'll let you be God and we'll be your children. The other thing that Joseph so beautifully models for us is not only does he entrust God with all justice, but did you hear that in the phrase, Joseph also trusts God's providence and goodness. His providence and his goodness. Such a, a beautiful scripture that, again, the Apostle Paul says, Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. In other words, he says, God is not the author of evil. It's not God's heart and intent. But what he does allow is he allows choice and he allows consequences of those choices. And unfortunately, he allows, us, allows other people's bad choices to have consequences on our lives. And yet, what God promises to do is that even those harsh consequences that affect us, if we would give the, him to the, those to him, what will he do? He will work good in all of those circumstances. Joseph said, yeah, you guys intended to harm me, but you know what our father did? He took all that horrible things and he brought good to my life to your life, now the whole nation, really the known world of Egypt. And what God is saying is, would you trust me? Would you trust my justice? Would you trust my providence? Would you trust my goodness? And I'll work all those things out for good. Now having preached on uh, forgiveness a number of times, I thought there would be some value in getting a wee bit theological with you for a moment and allow the depth of this idea of forgiveness to sink in a little bit deeper, okay? And then we're gonna get real practical. Would you hang with me in the theological and then we'll get to practical, okay? All right, I know you're one hour less of sleep, but I think you're here, all right? I think you're with me. Do you realize that each member of the Trinity plays a vital role in forgiveness? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of them have a, a slightly different and unique role in forgiveness, in your forgiveness and the forgiveness of the world and each of those. And I thought there would be value in looking at each of those roles and to appreciate how each of the, the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit come to us in forgiveness. Would that be interesting? I, I think it will deepen this idea of forgiveness. 
So I came up with a little shape because we like life shapes to help you remember, all right? It's a, a, a triangle, an inverted triangle. And, and let's talk first and foremost about the Father and his heart, the Father's heart. That the Father's heart, sometimes we, we think that he delights in judgment and delights in vengeance and delights in punishment, but that's not the testimony of the scriptures. The testimonies of scripture is that God delights in grace and mercy and forgiveness. That that is what he longs to allow to flow from his throne room into our hearts and into our souls. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God. What's the riches of God? The riches of God's grace. God's grace that he lavished. He doesn't just give out little trickles here. He doesn't sprinkle us with his grace. What does he do? He lavishes us. He, for some reason, I've had this uh, lathers us up in grace. And when we dry up, he lavishes some more. It's this flow that he delights, that his love and mercy, in that grand word, grace, is all of his loving kindness, his mercy, his goodness, all of that he loves to lavish, to, to pour out. That's the richness of God the Father. It flows from the throne fills us to overflowing, lavishes us on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's the benevolent king who refuses to hold our sins against us, but goes to great lengths, not for his forgiveness, but for your forgiveness and my forgiveness and brings us back and says, done, removed. You're new. You're a new creation. It's the heart of the Father that really directs the Son's role. And the Son's role, unfortunately for him, but incredibly fortunate for us, is one of sacrifice. Sacrifice on the cross. The son's sacrifice is the extension of the father's heart. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the father. This is the core of the good news that we carry. Think about when we share in communion what some of the words that Jesus said from communion, this is my blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the, what? Forgiveness of sins. The unique role of Jesus is sacrifice. At great personal expense, he died for our forgiveness. Jesus not only shares in the authority to forgive sins because he is God, right? He, in his earthly ministry, he said, um, you know, your sins are forgiven, 
But also think of those last few moments, those last few breaths that he's on the cross and he sees some of the perpetrators right before him, those that have led to his, the cross, and what does, how does he pray for them? Father, for they know not what they do. This, this flow, forgive them, Father, this flow, it was his sacrifice that allows the grace of the Father to flow through the cross from Jesus into our hearts and souls. And then the Holy Spirit has a unique role as well. The Holy Spirit really, there's two things that I, I think that the Holy Spirit does. Is one is he takes all the, the promises of God the new covenant promises of forgiveness and he presses them into our soul. He presses them into our minds and our hearts. In fact, I think he's doing that right now. Can you feel it? He's pressing that into your soul. He wants you to know that, that forgiveness is at the core of the Father's heart he presses it in, and then he does another thing that is really important. He empowers us to do the impossible. As if he says, I get it. I mean, the words of Jesus, forgive as you forget. Yeah, you can't do it without me. I'm gonna give you the power. I'm gonna give you the authority. I'm gonna give you the release that you need. That's my role. It's a beautiful scripture that we could spend a whole sermon on found in John 20 related to the Spirit's power and authority. And I, and I want you to hear this. This is Jesus. He's resurrected. He's died on the cross. He's resurrected, but he's not ascended yet. And he, before he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he is right now, Listen to what he says and does to the apostles. He says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What? I mean, the authority and the responsibility in that, really? What is going on? What he's pointing out, friends, is this idea of forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel, the center of the heart of the Father. And, and listen, who knows that if we're carrying unforgiveness in our hearts, if we're carrying that, that grudge in our hearts, there's no way that we can be God's ambassadors of forgiveness. Amen? Maybe that's why Jesus spent so much time in the Lord's Prayer. He says, you know, no, no, you've got to get this, friends, because you need to be my mouthpiece. You will be my ambassadors to this broken world, this sinful world, world that desperately needs this message of grace and forgiveness. But if you're harboring unforgiveness in your soul, it ain't going to happen. It's this block, it's this barrier to the life I'm calling you to. 
I've made you to be jars of clay, fragile people, and yet you've got this incredible message that is, should be held within your soul. And if you allow this junk to wrap around, it, it's not going to work. And then if we go to the final picture of, you see, you are at the bottom of that little triangle. Scripture, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's the father and the son and the Holy Spirit that are working collaboratively together for you and I so that we would Receive and then be empowered to forgive. Amen? All right, let's get uh, practical for just a moment. So we can get that. We can go and get this profound meaning of forgiveness, but what about those circumstances that boy, it just seems next to impossible? I asked a dear couple if I could share a part of their story. And uh, they graciously granted permission. Uh, they met with me a while back. They came into my office and they were wrestling with forgiveness. You'll understand why in just a moment. And they shared uh, sensitively and tearfully this, this story on the 28th of August, 2002, they received a phone call of their little grandson was in the ER and he was not breathing. He was only two years old. They rushed to the hospital and Tommy had died. At the time, the story was that uh, he had fallen down the stairs and that was what caused his uh, fatal injuries. And the grandpa, he says he walked into the room where Tommy was and he was in a, a crib-like bed with the, the tube still out and just his heart broken, shattered to pieces. There was an older granddaughter, I believe she was four years old at the time, and the grandpa uh, noticed that some professionals took the, the granddaughter in and so as a protective grand grandpa he followed in and when they looked at her body there were bruises all over her body the uh, the grandparents realized that there was more to the story they became uh, custodians uh, they took custody of the granddaughter and that led to a process of ongoing and intense counseling for the granddaughter. It led to a court case for the boyfriend of their, their daughter. Both of those revealed uh, the perpetration of all forms of abuse, emotional, physical, sexual, and it was the physical abuse that led to the death of their two-year-old grandson. 
And from the, uh, the court case, the perpetrator is now in jail serving a 48-year sentence. And so the grandparents are wondering, how do you forgive that? How do you take this, this gospel of forgiveness and the work of the Trinity and how do you apply it? How, how do you do the impossible? And uh, God bless them for being on this journey. There's a scripture that has been tremendously helpful for me. I'm gonna share that with you as our application. It's this uh, Ephesians 4.30. Can we go to that? Yeah. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. If we pause right there, did you know that our lives, unfortunately, can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit, can grieve the Holy Spirit? When we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's when we live like the world lives. But you know, we can also bring delight to the Holy Spirit when we live and embrace the way and the work of the Lord or the way and the work of the Spirit of God. He says, that's why, remember, I've identified your mind. You're my daughter. You're my son. Now live as I have lived forgive as I have forgiven. That if you live inconsistent with my grace and mercy and kindness and love and tenderheartedness towards others, that brings grief. Don't do that. Embrace my ways. Embrace my heart. Embrace how I am living towards others. If we go back to that Ephesians passage, we continue on, and he says, get rid, who knows that we have to get rid of some stuff if we're gonna really forgive. There's some, there's some junk in here that we need, we, we desperately have to get rid of if we're gonna really forgive. And he says, get rid of all. Why don't you read that with me? Can we read that together? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. I just put it like this. We have to let go of payback. We have to let go of bitterness. Brittany, go to that next slide. Let go of payback and bitterness. That's all poison of the soul. That's all that remnant from the hurt and the wounds into our lives that, 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 that wants to take root in our soul. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you need to let go. I will empower you with my spirit to uproot that bitterness, that, that pain. 
that unforgiveness. And then finally, let's finish that, that Ephesians passage we have together. We get rid of, we let go, and let's hold on to some things. And I liked it when you read it with me. Can you read from instead with me again? Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Did you see that little word again? As. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul knew the Lord's Prayer when he wrote this. Just as. Forgive one another just as through God, uh, as God through Christ has forgiven you. Extend forgiveness just as you have received. This, uh, this precious couple, try and get through it. The, uh, they said there was one thing that their spiritual leader said that has been tremendously helpful in this journey of forgiveness. That, uh, that they now are learning to pray in obedience. We forgive the perpetrator just as Christ forgave us. We take the forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us and we apply that to the perpetrator. They said they haven't arrived yet. It's not there. But it's helped them move in that journey of forgiveness. Friends, there was a season in my life that in obedience I would extend forgiveness to a person and then I'd wake up the next morning and guess what? I'd taken it back. So I pray the Lord's Prayer again. And I give it. And guess what? The next morning. But you know what? There's grace there. there there's, there's mercy there when we take it back. God, God knows it. He says, I'll, I'll be with you. I'm with you for the long haul. I'm with you for the journey. Uh, yeah, trust me. Keep trusting my goodness, my justice, my providence. Keep trusting. That's the way. That's the way of the kingdom. I've got plans for you, but if you're here, just let go. Can we pray together? Lord, would you help us live according to your ways? Lord, thank you that you don't call us to the impossible and leave us to our own strength or power. Lord, would you help us to look more like you 
more like your sons and daughters, more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray in particular for those folks that have been deeply wounded and we're not there yet. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can we stand together and respond in worship?